The NBA Gambling Podcast on the Sports Gam Podcast Network presented by Shady Rays. SGPN is teaming up with Shady Rays for Shady May. Get 50% off your Shady Rays using promo code SGPN and then go to sportsgampodcast.com slash shady for your chance to win $500. And welcome, everybody, to the NBA Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Gam Podcast Network. It is currently Thursday morning, May 11th, and I'm your host for this episode, Scott Rochelle, joined by co-host Delonte Smith, and together we're going to go through the Thursday NBA card here in the second round of the NBA playoffs. Yesterday, we saw a couple of teams stay alive after the Knicks and the Warriors had a home game to avoid elimination, and each of them ended up winning. Delonte, how's it going with you? What were your thoughts from yesterday's games? Yeah, going good, man. I'm just dusting off my resume to see if I can apply for that uh, Toronto Raptors head coaching job. I think, you know, podcasters are in right now. We're, we're the hottest thing on the market uh, with the J.J. Reddick interview. So uh, what you think about that? You think we should be able to apply for that? I think the only concern that I have right now for the Reddick rumors is that since their podcast is known as Old Man in the Three, they have to find another old man for the podcast. So I'm curious who they're going to use to replace him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But everything uh, went well last night. You saw it well. I know we were on with uh, with Ryan and, and Sean uh, yesterday. So I felt pretty good about the plays. I thought that we ran through it pretty good. I thought everybody was seeing it pretty much similar. Uh, so I thought that both home teams were desperate. You can't You can't fake desperation. You can't outplay desperation especially with the championship pedigree that the Warriors have. The Knicks tried to give the game away, but the Heat just couldn't hit a shot for whatever reason. So uh, I know we'll get into that a little bit later on. But, yeah, man, I think that uh, I think that the games went as followed. I know now we're just waiting around for the Anthony Davis uh, diagnosis. But uh, other than that, man, I think we did a pretty good job, saw it well. I had a good night. I'm pretty sure you did too. I did not, uh, but I appreciate the confidence. Uh, no, <laughs> I, I had a decent amount of Miami. Oh, okay. which didn't exactly work out well. I also had Golden State, so it could have been worse. But I'll get to the Golden State game in a second. I'll go in chronological order because, of course, the Knicks-Heat game came first. For the most part, the first quarter was exactly what I thought was going to happen in the game. I thought the Knicks offensively would still struggle because they've been struggling all series long, and I was worried about the overall effort level. And then the Knicks scored 14 points in the first quarter. Miami's up double digits, and I'm thinking to myself, all right, you know, I'm assuming the Heat are going to win comfortably, and I'll probably, you know, I don't need these four points. You can have the four <laughs> points. Like, I'll, we'll see what happens on the money line. And then the Knicks scored 98 points in the final three quarters of the game. I expected Brunson to be really good because the, the Heat had a hard time guarding him the game prior, and I thought with quickly being injured, I expected Brunson to play 45 minutes. Turns out I was underselling it because he played every second of the game. He didn't come out of the game at any point. So he was really good. Randall was solid. Barrett was really underrated in that game. I thought he was solid. Even Mitchell Robinson was good. He ended up hitting some free throws late when they were doing the Hacker-Robinson maneuver, and he ended up making his shots. The Heat, though, were still in it. And Robinson, the other Robinson, Duncan, hit a couple of threes. Then he missed an open one uh, late in the game. Lowry missed the three late to potentially keep it close. And the Knicks went on a run to win the game by nine. But they ended up having a potentially dangerous situation because the Knicks were playing extremely well. Uh, they got to the foul line a bunch in the fourth quarter. And yet Miami was still there. I believe they were down three with around three minutes to go, give or take. And then the Heat scored two points in roughly the final three minutes. And that was the story of the game. But I do think that... First of all, I'm going to ask you, uh, do you have any main takeaways for that Knicks game? I know you gave out the Knicks as a lock on the Mothership pod. You had the minus three and a half, so you get to have some bragging rights on me because I had the heat. Uh, but any thoughts on that game in particular? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was like a Knicks domination by any means. I mean, I thought that, honestly, I got the first quarter wrong. I thought they would come out with a little bit more urgency and a little bit more effort, but they just didn't have it. It seemed like they were going to get blown out of the building as far as body language goes. Uh, Julius Randle was taking some horrible shots, as he usually does. Uh, I thought Hart was out of it, which mostly had to do with some of the foul trouble that he was in. Uh, I, I think it came down to basically the Heat just not making shots. I mean, a lot of their shots were wide open, like, I think Duncan maybe he might have missed. I think he was like four of seven, four of eight, or something like that. And he he might have missed. He was five of ten from. Three. Oh yeah, so I mean he might have missed like three or four that were like literally wide open. And so so did Lowry. 
Um, I thought Struess and, and Vincent didn't have it, but they they played good defense. I thought the main thing that uh, that happened in the Knicks game, which is what I alluded to, was that I thought that they had to limit the turnovers and the points off turnovers, which was killing them in the series. And I thought they did a decent job of that. Uh, I, I don't got the numbers in front of me as far as what the points were um, off the turnovers, but I thought they did a decent job. They were able to get out and run. The small ball lineup with uh, OB at the five and letting Brunson, uh, Grimes, and some of those guys get better lane. I thought that was a, a better driving lanes was a little bit uh, helpful to him. But, you know, Thibodeau loves his big man, so he's going to automatically play them. But other than that, man, I thought it just came down to the heat not making shots. I, don't, I wasn't really impressed with the Knicks uh, outside of Brunson being incredible for the full 48. So credit to him and Grimes for that. But outside of that, man, I thought Miami just – they didn't have it. The shots just weren't falling. Yeah, to go through the actual shooting numbers here, the Knicks shot 49-plus percent from the floor and 38-plus percent from three. The Heat shot 42% from the floor and roughly 30% from three. So the Knicks were roughly 7 or 8% better when it comes to efficiency. The rebounding was a story here as the mm-hmm. Knicks ended up out-rebounding Miami 50-34. to 34. Uh, They also attempted 21 more free throws, so they more than doubled the attempts that Miami had at the line. And you mentioned the points off turnovers. The exact score in that category was Knicks 29, Miami 5. Okay, so that's why that's why they won. They were minus forty five coming into this game, like minus forty five in points off turnovers. It was uh, was the Knicks. Uh, anytime you out, anytime you beat somebody in the points off turnovers by twenty four mm-hmm. points, you should win that game. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, Miami seemed to be missing a lot of shots. I thought Butler was pretty quiet throughout the game. I know mm-hmm. that the uh, Knicks kind of game planned accordingly, and it seemed like they were willing to let some of the supporting cast shoot more. A bowler only had 19 points, though, on 5 of 12 shooting in 43 minutes. I mentioned the three-point numbers, though. Miami shot around 30%. Kevin Love went 0 for 7. You had Lowry go 2 for 8. Robinson was 5 for 10, but it felt like he could have gone like 7 of 10 because he had a lot of open looks. And Vincent went 0 for 3. Yeah, it just seemed to me like the Knicks were making the bigger plays down the stretch and the Heat still were able to hang in there. Um, we're not, we're not going to talk about what we expect for game six, though, because we're going to save that for the Friday show. But anyway, uh, time to get into the main events from yesterday. No offense to Knicks fans, because I feel like everybody <laughs> was looking forward to that Warriors and Lakers game. And first things first, I ended up giving out the Lakers team total under, which got there. Not sure how it got there, but it got <laughs> there. Just to ask you personally, nothing surprised me about that game. I thought that it had Golden State double digits written all over it, and I questioned if the Lakers' effort level would be there since we all kind of assumed, like the Memphis series, they know in the back of their minds they end up having a home game in Game 6. The Warriors have no tomorrow unless they force a tomorrow, and we thought they'd come out with more energy. Did anything shock you in that game? Because it seemed like Golden State from the get-go was just going to win by double digits, and it was a matter of how much they were going to win by. Yeah, so... I thought the Lakers played extremely well as far as being able to match the intensity. They took the initial haymaker in the first quarter. I think Golden State got up uh, with 13 to 2 or 13 to 5 or something like that. I know AD made a a free throw and then uh, LeBron made a three. So, yeah, like 13. They were up 9 or 10 in that range within the first three or four minutes. And I thought they did a good job of answering every time that I thought Golden State was going to pull away. Um, I was actually surprised that Darvin Ham kind of went away from some of the things – like Lonnie Walker and uh, Reeves on the floor at the same time. I thought Reeves was doing an excellent job of attacking Clay. I don't know what it is with Austin Reeves and, and Clay. Maybe he's got to be for, you know, uh, he's the best white guy in the league, or I, I don't know what's going on with them. But Austin well, Reeves. Tower Hero's injured, so now there might be, you know, yeah, that title yeah, right. up for grabs. Yeah, yeah, so. you're right. You're right about that. But um, yeah, man, I think that Austin Reeves did a hell of a job last night. Um, I was surprised that Ham pulled the guys like early. I know it was like four minutes left and they were down 13. I thought it was a little bit of a, uh, an early white flag, but the 80 injury kind of played part in that. Maybe he just was like, well, we'll just wait until game six. Um, but yeah, man, nothing really surprised me. I thought the intensity of the Lakers was there. Uh, Golden State still had some problems turning over the ball early on. They cleaned it up late. I think they didn't have a turnover for maybe like two and a half quarters, which is surprising for them. Draymond's aggression, I know, was a big thing. I thought he played with extreme aggression offensively, which opened things up for them, uh, like other shooters as far as Clay and Steph, but they still didn't hit. I mean, Clay was, I know you're going to take a, a lap around about the Clay stuff, so I, I won't get into that, but, man, he was horrible. And I thought him and Jordan Poole were 
were both equally as horrible um, in the series. Somehow Poole actually improved because he scored zero points the game prior. So I guess that's the difference. Yeah, but. but but I had him over nine and a half, and he scores nine in like the first two and a half quarters and nothing the mm-hmm. rest of the way. So well, he had 11. Did he? Yeah, he scored. Oh, I didn't see it. Oh, he scored in garbage time in the last. Oh, okay, okay, I didn't see. It. I didn't see. It. I didn't see that. Okay, yeah, that's perfect. I dude. mean, he still went five for fourteen and one for six from three. I don't know how the hell he takes fourteen shots in twenty three minutes, but he did finish with eleven. He did score in garbage time, so he did go over. Oh, okay, that's good. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, but um, yeah, I didn't think anything else other than the Lakers' effort surprised me. I thought that they were gonna punt, like literally get blown out of the building. I mean, the garbage time thing made the score a little bit more non-competitive than the game was, but it was competitive down the stretch. Steph, Draymond hit some timely uh, jumpers to put them ahead. The Lakers just couldn't get over that hump. But uh, I thought the effort was there. I thought the intensity was there. I thought they matched some of the things um, defensively that the uh, the Warriors were switching up on their offensive sets. But other than that, man, I thought it played out uh, pretty well other than the intensity of the Lakers. Yeah, so of course the main takeaway from the game in hindsight is going to be the health status of Davis and LeBron. I feel like none of people are talking about LeBron maybe tweaking his ankle in the last couple of minutes of that game. I didn't see that that as well. No, I didn't didn't see that. He landed a bit awkwardly on his foot, and he ended up playing through it anyway for a couple minutes. I know he had a putback dunk, so you can make an argument he was probably healthy enough anyway. And, you know, we've seen LeBron, when the team's down double digits, he's not afraid to conserve some energy, and it looks like he's moving in quicksand. But LeBron was kind of moving gingerly for the last couple minutes there, and I feel like none of people are talking about it, so I at least want to bring that up. AD, we don't know. Uh, at first, I thought he got poked in the eye. Yeah, then it turned out he got elbowed in the face, and then he needed a wheelchair but didn't have a concussion. So there's a lot of variables here, and we'll see what happens moving forward. I'm assuming that AD's going to play, and the betting odds suggested, because I know it ended up going to Lakers minus one when the news first came out. And then AD was like, oh, yeah, he's fine. And then it immediately went to two and a half. So the line's already moved accordingly. Do we agree AD probably plays in game six? Yeah, I, I think he will. I mean, I know at first when I seen it, I thought the same thing as you. I thought he just got maybe got poked in the eye. But then when I seen the elbow, it kind of hit him right in that temple area. Yeah. And I know his from the looks of it, I think he was having a hard time. Like he barely could keep his eyes open. So he's probably having some blurry vision, which was probably having him, you know, a little bit dizzy. So, uh, I think the early diagnosis from Chris Haynes was that like a, a, a mild concussion, if I'm not mistaken. I think he broke that. Uh, At the end, they later. said he avoided it. So oh, okay. I do okay. think he might have avoided the concussion entirely, but I'm sure he might. So they be say. Getting, so they say. Se- I was going to say he might be getting separate testing and we'll find out. Yeah. It also depends if you're right about the board vision or anything like that. It, it might depend on just how he wakes up one day and right. we'll see what happens. I think he's going to play. Yeah, I, think I do play. question if his full engagement might be there mentally for game six because maybe if the visions continue to be an issue for maybe he won't be as effective i don't want to compare it to like the scotty pippen migraine game but that kind of idea where just because he's on the court doesn't mean you're going to be getting a full effort full intensity quality player because he might be you know trying to play through some ailments he's not accustomed to yeah i I agree with that um i mean and we know with with his injury history he's not going to play through a lot of things um yeah but yeah, man, I th- I thought that I honestly thought that it was you know just him overreacting. You know he gets up slow every other possession, so I thought it was just overreaction. Then I actually seen the elbow hit him, and I was like, oh man, that could be bad. But yeah, yeah man, hopefully he's good, and we don't get deprived of you know a great game and, and a good rest of the series um, in LA. Yeah, for me, I do want to just discuss a couple of takeaways that I had from Game Five in particular. First thing I'm going to mention was just some changes the Warriors had schematically. And I thought they did a great job of constantly getting Anthony Davis involved in pick and rolls by mm-hmm. forcing him to actually guard on the perimeter. And for a true testament of that is the fact that Anthony Davis, we know, is one of the best defensive players in the league. He had zero blocks yesterday because mm-hmm. every single possession he was being dragged away from the basket, which really helped set up a lot of off-ball action, backdoor cuts, etc., which also explains how Draymond Green dropped 20 points in 2023 because Anthony Davis wasn't near the rim for rim protection and Draymond got a lot of decent looks by the rim. So the first thing I'm going to give is Steve Kerr props for the adjustments. We saw them experiment a little bit with that same concept in game four 
and then they went away from it for some reason in the fourth quarter. But they stayed with it the entire game, and it definitely worked out as Golden State scored 121 points. The other takeaway was really the supporting cast. I thought Golden State got a lot of contributions they didn't get in Game 4. You saw Wiggins drop 25-7-5. and five. I thought he was great the entire night. You had Draymond, I just mentioned before, who had 20 points, 10 rebounds, 4 assists. I thought Draymond was actually the best player on the floor last night, uh, just based on his overall yeah, intensity from the get-go. He did a great job of pushing the ball and really just trying to establish a constant pace to try to wear down the Lakers, even on made baskets. It seemed like Draymond was pushing the entire night. I thought Draymond was fantastic, so props to him for showing yeah. up in an elimination game. Uh, Gary Payton was also solid. He had 13 points in 27 minutes. Team high, plus 25 in 27 minutes. And then you have the guy that I'm not going to fully roast because I feel like my opinions are well-documented on this player <laughs> at this point. You have Clay Thompson. Yeah, Clay was pretty much the only warrior besides maybe Jordan Poole, but Poole set the bar so low, he actually improved in Game 5. I don't know what Clay was doing the entire game. I know he ended up being a plus 16 because the rest of the lineup really carried him. Played 37 minutes, went 3 for 12, 2 for 6 from 3, and only scored 10 points. Do you want to explain to me what Clay was even trying to do in the game yesterday? Because I, it looked like he was just running around. Well, I think he was kind of pushing it like as far as forcing things. Uh, he got a couple of good looks early that he missed uh, in the first yeah. quarter. I think he he had like three he got three looks that he did. Maybe one of them went, that he Yeah, missed. maybe one of them did one of them go down? I can't remember if one of them went down or not. Maybe it was a two point. I was going to say, I, th I think he might have made a mid-range jump shot, yeah, okay. but he but bricked he all the three-pointers three early yeah. on, I think. Yeah, man, I'm not sure what's, go I'm not sure what's going on with, with Clay. I mean, he's getting the looks. Uh, I mean, it's not like they're like hounding him defensively. I mean, they got Austin Reeves, and they got their lower defenders on him, so it's not like he's getting hounded. And Vando can't even stay on the floor because he can't guard Steph Curry. So, I mean, he's in a plus situation. He's just not hitting the shot. So, I think it's just a testament to the Warriors and how they're winning despite him. Uh, he, I don't think he scored 15-plus in the last three games, if I'm not mistaken, right? I don't believe he has either. Uh, once again, I'm not going to uh, repeat everything I've said about Klay Thompson this season. I called him the most overrated player in the league about four or five months ago, and I feel like those that opinion has aged pretty well. So I'm going to put it that way. He did drop 15 in game three, yeah, so he's dropped, six, he's dropped less than 16 in three straight. The last two games, shot 25% from the floor yesterday, shot 27.3% in Game 4, and now you hear all of Twitter talking about Game 6 Clay. We'll see. Let's put it that way. I'm not going to automatically assume Clay's going to show up. If, even right. in the last two Game 6s, he hasn't been amazing by any means. Yeah. He was fine against the Kings, but... Unfortunately, he also in game six of the finals was atrocious. So I do think that a lot of that's reputation based as opposed to current form. If you're the Lakers, do you or you're a Lakers fan? Is a Corgi your least favorite dog breed? A dog breed? <laughs> yeah, man. I, I'm that. I seen that video and I was like, wow. I was, after after one or two, I'm just like, all right, whatever. But then it gets deeper into the series, and I'm like, oh man. And then now. They've got the Warriors winning the next two. So, yeah, man, I don't know. I don't know, man. We'll, we'll see. But I think the issue with Clay is, like, it's not that he's not getting the looks. Like, I could understand that they were playing good defense on him, and, you know, that's causing him to be in this slump. But it's not good defense. He's getting the looks. He's just not making them. I don't know if and, it's legs And you know when he misses the first couple, he forces the other ones right, to try to right. get back on track. Right. And so I'm not sure what's going on. Like, I can understand, I can understand a player struggling against good defense – but and the Lakers are a decent defensive team, but they're not doing a good job on Clay. Like he's getting open, he's getting separation, he's getting the looks, he's just not hitting them. So I think that's just a testament of maybe uh confidence or maybe he's just not into it. I, I don't even think it's defense because he's not playing good defense because also that, that's what I was gonna bring end. up in a second. Yeah. I was gonna say, since his offensive game has been so really just underwhelming for most of the playoffs at this point. I do feel like some of his defensive intensity is definitely not fully there because of the fact that he's still thinking mentally about the struggles he's had offensively. I think there is some uh, carryover into his defensive intensity. But anyway, they they were able to win without Clay. They have been able to win without him. And they it would definitely be a lot easier to win some of these games if Clay would actually give you a steady 15 to 20 points 
So we'll see what happens there. But yeah, overall, wasn't totally shocked by the Warriors winning comfortably. I was a bit surprised that LeBron and AD were on the court for that long because it seemed like Golden State was up double digits for pretty much the entire fourth quarter. And I thought that after AD got hurt especially, I thought they would pull LeBron with about six, seven minutes to go. Instead, they let LeBron play 39 minutes, and now they only have one day off before game six, which I do find pretty interesting from a scheduling perspective for the Lakers to deal with. But anything else you want to talk about, or should we move into tonight's action? Nah, man, let's get into it. All right, uh, so before we actually get into tonight's action, do want to have a brief talk about Shady Rays. Shady Rays is teaming up with SGPN for Shady May. Not only are you getting a great 50% off deal, but you also have a chance to win $500. Shady Rays has durable frames and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. That's not all. Shady Rays is offering the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. I wish my bets had lost and broken replacements. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they told us they will send you a brand new pair. No questions asked. Wear your shader of confidence because they have your back long after purchase. And if you don't love them, exchange them for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Their team always has your back. And for our international listeners, Shady Rays has you covered as well with shipping to Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and the UK. Shout out to Malcolm. He can buy himself a pair of sunglasses. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the code SGPN for 50% off two pairs of Polaris sunglasses. Then take your receipt to sportscampodcast.com slash Shady for your chance to win the $500 Shady May contest. Welcome back, everyone, to the NBA Gambling Podcast. Just finished recapping the action from yesterday. I know some people might be annoyed. We spent 20 minutes recapping what happened yesterday. Now it's time to actually get into the action for Thursday. But yesterday was the official start of chaos in the NBA because every game from this point forward in the second round is an elimination game for at least one team. So it should be a lot of fun. And yet, no series have ended yet. (laughs) There have been a lot of long (laughs) series so far in the second round, a lot of game sixes, and we have a couple tonight. Starting off with the game taking place in the East Coast between the Celtics and the Sixers, this is actually the first game where we have a team facing elimination on the road. We know the home teams ended up winning uh, the games yesterday. But the Celtics are roughly minus two and a half, The 76ers at home are plus two and a half on the money line. The Celtics are around minus 135, minus 140. And the Sixers are around plus 120, give or take. And the over-under in this game is around 212 and a half. Delonte, I'm going to ask you a simple question to start. Do you think the Celtics, even though they are probably the more talented team and they were the pre-series favorites, should the Sixers be getting points at home with a shot to end the series? I don't think they should be getting points at home. I think it should be closer to a pick them, maybe uh, Philly laying one, just simply off of the fact that, I mean, Boston was embarrassed, man, at home. They were out of it from the jump. Like, it wasn't even competitive from the jump. Uh, I know the, sc- the score probably wasn't even indicative of how bad that Philly beat them up. And I thought they out physical them. Uh, oh, Boston wasn't out- competitive. They, they were down yeah. double digits for like the entire second right. half. Right. I think they had a spurt in the second quarter where they maybe cut it to uh, four or five, but then Embiid hit a couple of shots and uh, a couple of turnovers, and that led to a du- building a double digit lead back. But I thought they just couldn't get over the hump. Um, the unwillingness of Missoula to be able to change anything that he's doing, I mean, he's got to get these guys back to attacking. We saw, we saw what they were doing in game one. Obviously, Embiid is a good is a great player. He's not a good defender. Uh, I think he's overrated as a defender, especially as a rim protector. Maybe on the help side, he's good. But I mean, who isn't good? On I think he's better than Jokic. But once again, that was the main yeah, argument yeah, I mean, people were making. So Embiid might look good by comparison defensively with Jokic, but in general. I mean, he has a hard time running the floor. So if you right. run in transition, which I know both of us are going to make the same point, Boston should have been playing slower a long time ago right. and just trying to run Philly out of the building, and right. they haven't done it yet. But anyway, to go back to your point about Embiid. Yeah, and I thought they should put him in more pick and rolls. I mean, you got to test out that knee and make sure that he can move laterally. I thought they didn't put him in enough pick and rolls, um, which was kind of the thing that they were doing even when he wasn't on the floor. So I'm not sure why they went away from it. I don't know if you remember in game one, they were constantly attacking, like attacking the paint, attacking the paint. And that led to them actually Philly having to, you know, put up a wall and that led to the three point shooting. I thought they were forcing a lot of three point shots. Their three point um, 
shooting variance is like staggering in the regular season. I think they were uh, like 70% win percentage when they shoot over 40%, 75% when they shoot over 40% or 40 or more. And then they were like under 500 whenever they were shooting, uh, obviously under 29 or under 30%, which you would say, I mean, obviously that would happen for all the teams, but it just goes to show you that they rely on the three point shot heavy. And I don't think they need to with some of the athletes that they have and some of the things they're able to do uh, in the half court game, like you alluded to. But I mean, they've been here before. Last year, they were down 3-2 to the books, uh, responded, 13-point row win, 18-point home win. Um, they're going to have to do it with some defense. Uh, the main thing is I think they got to get Grant Williams on the court. I know me and you both uh, were big fans of Grant Williams' defense on Embiid. Uh, so let's see. I mean, Philly shot 51-40%, and 40%, uh, 50, 51% from the uh, field goal and 40% in game five. They also shot 51 and 45 in game one. So it's going to be important for them to, you know, play with some more intensity and effort on the defensive side. So I think that's where they're going to win the games on the defensive side. So I like Boston to come out and get it done here. Yeah, for me, I know that we talked about this game on the Mothership pod yesterday, but I do want to at least bring up some important storylines regarding the Celtics because yesterday, as most of you know, they announced the All-NBA teams. And Jalen Brown made an All-NBA team, which means this might be the last game Jalen Brown plays in a Celtics uniform because since he made an All-NBA team, he is entitled to a Supermax extension. And with the new salary cap changes and stuff with the new CBA agreement, this could be the last game he plays for Boston. So keep Mm -hmm. an eye on that. Uh, We'll see if Boston maybe lets him shoot the ball more after the first quarter and maybe he'll be able to go for 30 and change. But there is a chance this is the last game that he has with the Celtics. So keep an eye out for that. But I do think that looking at the Celtics in this spot, I understand they did it last year. I also understand that Udoka is a better coach than Missoula. I was not the biggest Udoka fan last year, but I have to at least acknowledge by comparison, he was light years ahead of Missoula. And a lot of people might make the argument Missoula shouldn't have been the head coach in the first place. He's only here because Udoka had a scandal and had to basically step down from the job. But the point is, it still makes me laugh that he called out the media for not asking him about some adjustments that he made in the middle of the series. And A, they haven't won a game since, which is pretty funny. And B, I can't even think of half the adjustments he's made in the series because I could probably count it on one hand. I'm not sure what he's done in the series to really... I'd say get his players in the best spot to win games. Philly, you know, offensively is going to run endless pick and rolls with Harden and Embiid, which has gotten stronger over the course of this playoff series. The Celtics defensively have barely tried to do anything differently with guarding Embiid, and I thought they would try to send a bunch of different looks. Maybe they would try to hedge some screens or at least give Harden something to think about. They really haven't done it. They haven't done anything to really change... Uh, Philly's expectations of what they're going to be seeing from an offensive possession just over and over again. They keep trying to run the same defense. The main adjustment they made was to stop using Grant Williams, and I thought he was good. Uh, Grant Williams got stomped on by MB, and they just stopped using him in the series. I don't really know why. I'm hoping to see more of him. But a big reason why I want to see more of Grant Williams is the fact that Al Horford can't shoot. And I called him out on it earlier this playoff series. And then, of course, the game after I called him out on it, I believe he made five three-pointers. But he hasn't made a three-pointer. He's barely made a three-pointer since. The three-point efficiency has been disastrous for Horford. And that's a problem because we know he's older. He's not exactly playing great defense on Embiid. He did in the fourth quarter of game four. But besides that one quarter, I do think Embiid has gotten increasingly comfortable as the series has gone on, and I would pr- I would probably hope to see less Horford and more Grant Williams because, as we said before, they have to run. Boston should be trying to sprint the ball up court like what Golden State did yesterday. Golden State knows that the Lakers have a bad transition defense. LeBron and AD are older. They've been battling some injuries the last couple of weeks, and they want to make them run and constantly guard a full 90 feet of defense or play a full 90 feet of defense. The Celtics aren't doing that, and I think that's a problem that Horford gives this team when he's on the court. They can't run. I would probably try, at least give it a shot. Maybe Grant Williams at center. You get Brogdon more playing time, and you try to run a three-guard lineup with White, with Smart, and with Brogdon. Uh, Or potentially you do that, and you also throw in Brown and Tatum. 
maybe Tatum at the center. But I do think at some point you have to at least try to make Philly run or at least try to make Philly play up-tempo, which they definitely yep. don't want to do. And I guess the point that I'm trying to make for this game, if Boston does that, I think they'll win. The problem is I don't know if I trust Missoula to actually make that adjustment because he hasn't really made many adjustments so far. I think I have to lean to Philly plus the two and a half. Once again, if Boston wins the game, I wouldn't be shocked. But based on the coaching advantage that Philly has, as crazy as it sounds in the series, I can't lay two and a half with Boston on the road when mentally I don't really trust the state of this team because Tatum's gone off to some bad starts. It seems like there's a little bit of an issue of an issue with the offensive hierarchy because everybody wants to shoot on the Celtics team and there's not enough shots to go around. And it seems like there's really no hierarchy in place of, you know, what we should be running, what type of sets we should do, what's Philly struggling at defensively. It seems like every possession for Boston is a flow concept. Let's see what happens in this possession. We'll go with it. They don't really have any go-to plays. And on top of that, once again, I do think Philly's got the better coach in the series. I'm going to link to Philly. I am going to link to the over. I think you'll see some points here. I'm hoping Maxi got going in game five and that carries over into game six. But what are your thoughts on this? I'm assuming you got Boston and the over. Yeah, yeah, I do. I agree with you. I agree with a lot of your points, being that they got to be sped up. 76ers have to be sped up. Uh, the Boston offense had a tr- had trouble in the third quarter when Doc went to his zone, which I thought was a brilliant move, kind of threw him off off guard a little bit. Uh, and they had trouble scoring in that. So I think they'll be more prepared for that, being that they've seen it uh, a few times in this series. But, um, yeah, I think there'll be a lot of points. Uh, I don't think that Boston will miss some of those looks. I felt like they got good looks. They just missed. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. Philly hit everything. Uh, I mean, they hit all the big shots um, when they needed them. And B got a great block on uh, Brown whenever they were rolling to cut the lead I mean, down. I, mean, I, saw House, I saw House make a Euro step layup, and he had that alley-oop finish, which rolled around the rim seven times. When those shots go down, you're going to lose the game anyway. But I thought right. House was very good as well. But it did yeah. seem like a lot of Philly shots when the Celtics were, I don't want to say coming back, but at least they were hanging around. Mm-hmm. Philly always had an answer the entire game. Yeah, I thought so too. I thought so too. And uh, I think it's going to be a free-flowing game. Uh, I mean, the pressure is on Philly to close it out here. So I'm not sure how they come out. But I, I think, think so. Boston's – Yeah, I mean, I think – because they haven't been, they haven't been to the Eastern Conference Finals in in how long? Like yeah, it's, been, it's been, it's been a long, I, it's been a long time. But I actually yeah. do wonder who the pressure is on because once again, Philly was a pretty hefty underdog yeah. in this series, and really I think nobody that, gave him a shot to win the series. Yeah. I am wondering if the pressure is actually on Philly because I know the argument is, well, if they lose Game Six, then they're going to probably lose Game Seven on the road. Even though Boston's basically split their last like sixteen home playoff games. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if there's that much pressure on Philly because everybody was picking Boston to win the series. Yeah, I think I think a lot of the Boston uh, stuff pre-series had to do with the status of Embiid. I think it would have yeah. been a shorter favorite if Embiid was at least, I mean, maybe not 100%, but if he had, you know, played in the series prior, you know, like at least a game and looked kind of hobbled and not out. Because, I mean, early diagnosis for Embiid, it didn't look good. And then the report came out as far as, it being like a lot more severe than what it was. So I think that played a part in the series prior. But I do get what you're saying. Boston is the was the prohibited favorite after Milwaukee got beat and then the injury happened to Embiid. Well, even so in this I, game. And Embiid yeah, looks and, to be at full strength and Boston's still favored on the road in game right, six in Philly. Right, so. and, and, that's, and that's a great point. So I, I get that. But as far as, I mean, look, this is similar to, if you remember the Rockets playing the Warriors when they had Harden, I think yeah. this is similar to that series as far as how it's going to play out. If they don't finish it off here, I think they're going to lose in seven. But I think the series plays out a lot like that because if you remember during that, uh, I think was it 2017 or 2016 that that happened? The the uh, Rockets and Warriors, whenever the no, Rockets uh, missed all those threes. 2016 was the three one comeback against yeah. Oklahoma City, and okay. then they ended up giving up the three one lead to Cleveland. Mm-hmm. The Rockets one, you're talking about which one? The the one where they missed like the record. Missed, yeah, the 27 yeah. missed threes. Uh, yeah. That was. I want to say 2018, I think. Okay, okay, cool. Yeah, 2018 so I think, or 2019. Yeah, so I think it's similar to, to that uh, as far as the 76ers being able pressure-wise. But, yeah, man, I think the Boston comes out. I think they're ready to go. I think they're locked in. I think Philadelphia will be locked in and be able to take uh, take some of those punches. But I think both offenses have success here, so I like the over 212 and a half. Once again, I, I do think that it's definitely 
possible for Boston to win this game. And I do think they're the more talented team. Like, I never wavered on that point. But Rivers has been increasingly better than Missoula in the coaching department. I thought Rivers was the better coach going into the series. And I'm pretty low on Doc Rivers in general, but that tells you how low I am on Missoula because I've been criticizing him all year. But it does seem like the gap between coaches has increased as the series has gone on, which is why I am going to lean to Philly here. But once again, if Boston wins, I wouldn't be totally shocked. A part of me is kind of rooting for Boston because why would I not want to see James Harden and Doc Rivers in a Game 7? That's like right. the dream come true for me. <laughs> right. So I'm hoping that Boston pulls it out. But I think for the value alone, I don't think there's much value on Boston laying points on the road when they've shown me basically nothing for the last couple of games. I'm, I'm with you on that. But anyway, uh, to move on to the actual player props in this game, I know Embiid's points total keeps getting higher and higher, but he keeps going over, and it seems like Boston's had less and less answers for him as the series has gone on. Any player props you're looking at for this game? Yeah, man, I know we talked about Al Horford. Um, I kind of like him over 14.5 points and rebounds. Uh, I mean, he's coming off one of the worst playoff games uh, in this in this season, so I think he bounces back in a, in a pivotal spot. He's been over this number in three to five games despite that uh, that bad shooting night that he had in game five. Uh, if Missoula was smart, which, I mean, I'm not sure, it's de- that's debatable. So if he was smart, he might want to put Al on P.J. Tucker and let him roam the paint a little bit more so he can be able to help on Embiid at that free throw line. I think I think they call it a nail spot, so they want to yeah. help him out at the nail spot. Uh, I think you'll put him put him there, and he'll be fresher on the offensive end, put him in a lot of pick and rolls. Uh, so I think he has the ability to be able to score and rebound. I mean, I think you can go for anywhere from, you know, 12 and 6 can get you there, or 12 and 5 can get you there. So I think it's a lot of ways that he can get to this number. I uh, also like Derek White, over 11.5 points. I think he's a missing piece. He hasn't been playing well. Ironically, he's played better uh, on the road than he has at home. So maybe he, you know, he's able to get it going here. Some of the shots that he's taking, just confidence. I think it's a confidence issue. He's not getting up enough shots. He's shooting a decent percentage, but the shots, he's not getting up enough as he was in a series in the first series. So I like him over 11.5 points and Al Horford over 14.5 points at rebounds. Yeah, I think one prop I have to look at is probably Jalen Brown first quarter points. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. He's been he's been really, really good in the first quarter of games. The problem is Boston forgets he's on the team after the first quarter and his shot attempts plummet. Uh, so I'm, I'm hoping they actually give him the ball for four quarters. But in the first quarter especially, he's been really, really good. I do think for one prop I have to be at least tempted by is going to be Harden assists, uh, which has been very solid lately. It's at eight and a half. It is juiced at around minus 135. But Harden's done a very good job of facilitating. And I do think Boston should try to do a better job of limiting the pick and roll by maybe forcing Harden to be a, more of a scorer. But I don't think, once again, with Missoula, I don't know what they're actually going to do for adjustments. So I'll stick with what's worked. I'll go back to Harden assists. And I think you should finish with around nine or 10 in this game. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of what else I want to take. I know Embiid is at 30 and a half for points, which I understand, but I don't think I can take it. I think I have to at least make an argument for Embiid under in rebounds. It's at 11 and a half. Embiid has really not been great on the boards in this series. And I've made comments about it in the regular season. It's not as bad as Bam in some spots. I know Bam yesterday with rebounding killed a bunch of people because he had like six at the half and finished with eight. But Embiid's hustle on the glass is not always there, and he is conserving a lot of energy with rim protection and with offense. I am tempted by the under with Embiid rebounds because you're looking at the numbers for Embiid rebounding in this series, and they really haven't been that great. Yeah, I haven't. Um, I, what I do know is he was 10 and a half starting off. For, well, first it started off at 10, then it went to 10 and a half, and now it's at 11 and a half. So it might be a little bit uh, overinflated. What I'm thinking is is that if Grant Williams plays a lot more, Grant Williams was able to get under him and keep him from getting the offensive rebounds off the missed shots. So if that's a thing that Missoula goes to, then that could be in your favor also. Uh, is that is that at plus money? The under uh, No, it is roughly minus 135, give or take. Oh, but okay. to read it out, to read off the Embiid rebounding numbers here, he had seven rebounds last game, had 13 in game uh, in game four. However, the game did go to overtime. He played 46 minutes, so I'm not sure how many rebounds he actually had in regulation. He had 13 rebounds the game prior, and he had three rebounds in his first game in the series. So mm-hmm. I am going to lean to under with the Embiid rebounds. 
which I think is interesting. Maybe MB turnovers if you really think Boston's more aggressive with them. And Grant Williams does have pretty active hands. They're probably going to try to front them with maybe Marcus Smart as well. So maybe MB turnovers. Yeah, but- JR in chat just said something about that too. And that could be interesting, but for the most part, I think that's going to wrap it up for my thoughts on this game. You have anything yeah. else you want to add? No, that's it. Okay. Uh, so moving on to the late game here, you have the Nuggets taking on the Suns. Suns are favored by roughly three points at home, and the over-under is around 226. We saw the home team hold serve for the entire series so far, and it's been a very comfortable hold so far for Denver, and they won game five very comfortably. Now, Phoenix, uh, another super team, just kidding, uh, for Durant, is now (laughs) facing elimination, and they're going to try to force a Game 7 on the road. For Phoenix, though, I understand why they're favored. Having said that, Booker in those two home games, which they won, shot 79% from the floor and scored 80-plus points. It took a superhuman effort from from, uh, Booker and Durant, who also had some good games in there, to prevent Denver from winning any of those road games and they still were hanging in there with Phoenix, despite the insane shooting for Booker. What are your thoughts on this game? Do you think we're going to seven? Do you think Denver wins it? So two things. Um, I think the nuggets can cover and win this game. If they don't, I think that the Suns beat them in seven. So if you like the Suns, don't bet them in this game, just bet them to win the series. I think you can get a decent price on that. And it's more than a mechanical parlay, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't have those numbers in front of me, but uh, they changed. I had them yesterday for uh, for Sean and Ryan's show, but I did. I just don't have the updated ones on me. But if you do like the Suns, do not bet them in this game. Just bet them to win the series because obviously you're going to get what they closed six and a half um, in Denver, right? That, that was a close six and a half. So I you're going to get so, yeah, yeah. So you're going to get plus money on them. So you can hedge off if you if you need to. So it's it's a lot of ways you can work around it. I won't I won't get into that. But yeah, if you like Denver. I mean, if you like the Suns, bet them to win the series. Don't bet them in this game. I think that Denver closes it out tonight. Um, I don't think that the Suns have enough left in the tank. We saw some of the things that Denver did to uh, KD and Booker. Although they did have decent nights, it was a battle. They battled, and they were able to get under them, uh, make them make tough shots. I thought some of the things that they did to KD was oh, – this whole series, actually – even though KD had those gaudy numbers, I think he had to work extra hard for them. Especially well, his efficiency in, was terrible in game right, three. Game right. four, he was very solid. Right. And that's what we know. That's what KD's known for. He's known for being efficient. And I thought they made him uncomfortable. And Devin Booker's been a superhero. I just think that Denver is they're they're making it easier for them to score. Like they're making it easier for uh what, They're getting better shots. Yeah, it's easier for the Nuggets than it is. I know, for, I know you're trying Phoenix. to say trying to yeah. say they have much higher shot quality on a Basically, possession basis. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, so and I think the I think you know Phoenix is they got two of the best players uh, in the league for obviously, but I think it's just tough for them to just keep carrying this carrying these guys night in and night out. Now the role players of Phoenix have to play better, and they probably will at home. So it's all up to. The Denver's role players, Aaron Gordon, Bruce Brown, uh, Christian Brown. Um, even, I mean, I, no, he's not a role player. KCP. Making, yeah, KCP and uh, Michael Porter Jr. I think those guys have to, they don't have to play to the level that they played in Denver, but they do have to play average level basketball to be able to contain some of the things that think, because you know that crowd's going to be electric. The role guys play better at home. Everybody already knows this. So they got to come out and match the intensity. Outside of that third quarter in game, on the outside of the uh, was it game four that they had the great third quarter, Denver. Uh, yes, was, they were down double yeah. digits the half, and they yeah. made it a close game. And yeah, so I, uh, I felt like I felt like they outplayed. That was um, game three, I believe. Yeah, game three. So I felt like they outplayed Phoenix in every aspect of the game outside of the first two quarters in game three, and we saw we saw how that manifested in in uh, the third quarter. Uh, yeah, so I thought they were right there, man. I think that Denver is is live to win this game. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the Suns run out of a gas here. I'm going to pick Denver in this game. The thing that scares me about Phoenix here is that, once again, I know that Denver on the road hasn't been great this season, and Phoenix at home has been pretty good. If Booker shoots 55% instead of 79% at home, 
this series is over already. <laughs> like they needed Booker to have one of the greatest two game stretches in terms of efficiency I've ever seen in order to win those two home games. And even with that being the case, Denver was hanging in there. So I do think that they need a superhuman effort from both guys. And I do love how everyone in hindsight judges every single adjustment a team makes because I love how after game four, everyone was looking at Denver going, well, how do you leave Landry Shamit that open for the entire? Because it's, like, it's Landry Shamit. Okay, like you have Booker and KD, you'll live with Landry Shamit making four three pointers in the second half to win a game. It is what it is, but everyone was going, well, you know, they deserved it. Landry Shamit, good three point shooter when he's been a complete non factor the rest of the playoffs besides one game. Plus, I know Aiden's a bit banged up, and I know people have criticized Aiden anyway, but at least he gives you another body. We know Jokic is constantly getting to the foul line. Phoenix has let him go one on one the entire series. And now you're down potentially at least a, you have a compromised starting center. That's even worse. Jokic might walk into a 35 point triple double masterpiece in this game. And mm-hmm. Phoenix hasn't really sent a single double at him the entire series because his playmaking is so solid. They're just going to give him a bunch of wide open shots anyway. I am concerned with that eight and injury, regardless of how low people are on him. They don't have enough front court depth to survive a matchup against Jokic if. Aiden's compromised unless maybe they put Durant at the five. And if that's the case, what does Jokic have on Durant? About 100 pounds, 120 pounds? Yeah. I'd say like 140, 150. So I'm saying Durant's got no chance. So I right. do think that Jokic is a serious matchup problem, obviously. But with Aiden being banged up, it's especially a bad spot for Phoenix. They need Booker and Durant to once again combine for roughly 75 plus points. And I do once again agree with you that Denver has gotten consistently better shots throughout the series. And once again, if you if you have to survive a Landry Shamit game or there's some role player that steps up, it is what it is. But the problem that I have is that Landry Shamit has one good game and now everybody thinks Phoenix's supporting cast is decent and they went back to being bad in game five. I'm going to go with Denver here. I think they're the better team. And people give Denver's defense a hard time. Because Denver, we know with Jokic, and they had some issues at the end of regular season. Just to be clear, Denver's defense has been significantly better than Phoenix's defense in this series. I agree. And I, agree. I don't think it's close. Yeah, I think it's been like that throughout the playoffs. I thought they did a great job on um, on Cat and Anthony Edwards. Now, Anthony Edwards is going to get his, but I thought they made it hard. I mean, all these guys are going to get their points. I mean, if you're a superstar or an all-star level player in the NBA, you're not going to be stopped. But it's just how you get those points. Like, if you make it hard for them, that's unsustainable over the course of seven games. Mm-hmm. And we saw that. We, we're seeing that now. I mean, Booker, obviously, he had – did he have, like, 26 last game, if I'm not mistaken? That was probably his uh, I mean, he was in the game for a while. I think he might have finished with 28. But he had, he had double digits early in that game, and then in the second and third quarters, he couldn't hit a shot. And then he right. suddenly hit some shots in garbage time. Right. So, yeah, I think that's a great point uh, to Denver's defense. I thought they were underrated coming in. Um, I mean, they, they got a lot of guys to throw at them. I mean, the Christian Brown, the Christian Brown thing, man, I – I think he's going to be a key piece for them defensively. I mean, he's playing some minutes on KD. He's playing some minutes on Booker. And once he gets the offense going and they get him, you know, fully implemented and he can knock down some shots, I think he'll be a big, big addition for them. And they're already a deep team. They already play, what, seven, eight guys. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think the defense is very underrated. They have three-plus defenders, Aaron Gordon, KCP. And, I, I mean, I think Christian Braun is a decent defender, so I'll say two and a half. I mean, he doesn't play that much anyway. I don't think Murray's that bad of a defensive player for for at least a second option on a team. I think there are definitely worse uh, point guard defenders in the league. Right. Uh, year Bruce update, Brown, that's what I was talking about. Bruce, Bruce Brown, Brown is, yeah. Is so Brown, I like as a defender, and he was very good off the bench. He had 20-plus points in Game 5. I think he could have a big role here. The one thing that really impressed me with Denver's adjustments between Game 4 and Game 5, they were very physical with Durant. And I was a big fan of how they guarded him. They crowded his space. They made life uncomfortable. And Durant, you know, is going to force the issue if things don't go his way. But it really seemed like Denver did a great job of being physical without fouling. And I thought they did a great job of crowding his overall airspace. Yeah, I, I'm agreeing with that. I, I mean, they just got to make it hard. It's just, they're not going to stop them. They're going to get the, they're going to get the good looks. Uh, the thing is, Monty has to keep those 
floor spaces on the floor as far as Terrence Ross, um, a Kogi. Some some of those guys just got to hit shots. I mean, that's all it comes down to is those it guys. It shocked me shots. that a Kogi started Game Four, but. That's the issue you run into with Phoenix, though, because we saw in the first couple games in the series, yeah. they tried to use the good defensive players. They tried to use a Kogi. They tried to use Wayne Wright. None of them can shoot. So Phoenix decided we have to triple down on offense by using Ross and Warren, and they can't guard anybody either. Right. So like you're trying to think of how many good defensive players Phoenix has on the court at the same time. You have Booker, who's okay, but it's mostly Durant. Durant's a good defensive player. Yeah, he is. Who else do they have? Like, I don't think campaign's a great defensive player. Yeah, I mean, I think those – my thing was the reason why I thought the series flipped was, like, exactly what you said. Like, you don't have any plus defenders, so why not play the guys who can actually score a basket yeah. versus the guys who can't? I mean, that's they're not going to get stops anyway, so why not play those guys, TJ Warren, uh, Terrence Ross, why not play those guys to be able to spread the floor and be able to get you some good looks versus playing the guys who are not going to have to be guarded on the offensive end? And so, I'm not even yeah. sure the last time I saw Craig in the series in general. So they, they he, he had a good he had a good series against uh, the Clippers though. Like yeah, I, that was they can't use him, and yeah. they can't use him in the series. That's the problem. Yeah. Phoenix yeah. realized we have to triple down on offense and try to right. outscore other teams. Right, and it's pretty difficult to outscore Denver when you have probably the most efficient offensive player in the league. Is that a fair way to put it? Yeah, that's very fair. Very so fair. I, I do think that's a problem. So I'm going to lean to Denver. The total I find fascinating because I think I have to lean to the over because I don't think Phoenix is going to stop Denver. I like Denver team total over in this game as my favorite option. I think I'm leaning over, but I don't really feel great about it because I think Phoenix could struggle offensively unless Booker and Durant once again combine for 70-plus points. I'm going to lean over. You have any thoughts? Yeah, I'm probably going to lean to the over. Also, I think that the the game don't let that game deter you. The last game because I mean Phoenix is still having success attacking the paint. They just keep going away from it and they get jump shot happy and taking those mid range jumpers. But I think that they'll be able to constantly attack the paint. I think they got the shots will fall for Shamit, um, not to the extent that it was in in Game Four, but they'll fall. They'll, more of those will fall for him, Ross, and um, and Warren. And I think the the Nuggets rotational guys will play a lot better also. They won't play to the level that they did at home, but they'll play at a decent level. And I think both teams have advantages that they can exploit uh, on the def- on each other's defense. Now, the Suns, have you heard anything about Aiton? Like, what's his deal? I'm assuming Aiton's going to play uh, because it is an elim- elimination game. But then again, you never know if Aiton's actually going to care enough to play. Uh, yeah. But he's questionable with a rib contusion. So if mm-hmm. he does play, I'm not sure how well he'll be able to fight off Jokic in the low post right. since right. he's getting basically no help. Do you think Phoenix changes up the actual strategy defensively? Do you think they send extra bodies at Jokic because of the injury to Aiden? Or do you think they're I, in too deep? They're just going to keep doing what they've been doing. I mean, I thought the whole game plan for Monty is just to let Joker beat you offensively and don't let him do the other things, like get those other guys involved and get them wide up and looks. So I think that was a part of the strategy now. It can be debated if it's a good strategy or not, but I mean, Joker had fifty, what fifty four, fifty three, and they lost, right? So, yeah. I mean, it it, it worked three with with eleven assists, <laughs> right? I mean, so it worked. You just can't let him get those other guys in flow and get them wide open looks and be able to dominate you on the offensive glass. Now, with the eight injury, I mean, it's kind of I don't I don't know how to feel about it. Maybe it's addition by subtraction, but again, like you brought up earlier. KD would have to slide into that that five role. They, they don't have enough bodies, like right? Which is which goes. is which is foul trouble, um, uh, lack of effort on the offensive side because he's exerting so much defensively. Londell can play good in spurts, but he's not a like thirty five minute, thirty to thirty five minute player just yet. He's just not ready. For no, the, the foul trouble is going to be with him, and it was the entire season, right. so that could be right. A so that that's what I will have an issue with if Aiton's not one hundred percent, or if he goes and kind of you know doesn't have it. But, yeah, man, I think the over is going to be a good play simply because of the things that we just mapped out. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like I have to lean to the over. Now, my question for you, though, kind of segueing into player props, we saw Thibodeau use Jalen Brunson for the entire game. Played all 48 minutes. Durant was probably going to play the entire game, and then he got into foul trouble in the third quarter, but he played the entire mm-hmm. first half. Yep. Over or under – Four and a half total minutes of rest for Booker and Durant in this game. 
under. They got to play all 48. They, they, they I, play. I think each of them are going to play at least 46 minutes in this Listen, game. They, they got If they want to win this series, they got they got to play all 48 of game six and all 48 of game seven. It's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like, I would have them sit down in the office like, look, I'm sorry. I know. Listen, if you want to win this series, you guys got to go to distance. I'll call the timeouts earlier. Uh, to You know how some coaches uh, basically call the timeouts prior to the – uh, media timeout, like a little you bit trying of a to window. extend the, the rest, basically, like an yeah. artificial yeah. break. Yeah, yeah. So I think that I think Monty and the coaching staff have to do something similar to that to be able to get those guys rest because they're not going to win without them. I mean, they have to do literally every single thing as far as rebounding, assists, and now that Aiton's out, Katie's going to be responsible for protecting Lane's the rim. Questionable, but still, yeah, yeah. Well, with with him being hobbled, compromised, yeah. yeah. So yeah, man, I think they got to play all forty eight here. Yeah, I, I do think that you're going to see a lot of Booker and Durant on the court because that has to be the case. Mm-hmm. The only concern would be foul trouble, uh, yep. which might cause one of them to sit. But in reality, I think that Monty has to, has to play Durant and Booker in his mind at least 45 minutes in this game each going in. Could be more, but I think it cannot be less unless it's garbage time and they're winning comfortably. They got to go down swinging. You yep. can't build a team with two top 10 players, and then not play them at least 90% of the game in an elimination game. So I do think you're going to see a lot of Durant and a lot of Booker. So my first player props I got to mention, I think we got to take the points on Durant and Booker, right? I mean, I got to think of who's going to be shooting. <laughs> like, I, I got to at least acknowledge that they're going to take most of the shots. And I think that even though Phoenix's bench is not great, I'm not expecting to see much of the supporting cast because or the bench unit because I really don't think Durant and Booker are going to sit at all in this game. Yeah, I agree. I so, agree. I'm taking. I'll take a different approach. Uh, I, I mean, th- the points. I, I don't mind. It's a little bit juiced, but I think we can get some more value in this spot. So I think rebounds and assists for Booker and KD. You can get both of those at plus money. Booker is at 13 and a half rebounds and assists. KD's at 15 and a half rebounds and assists. Um, both of those are plus money. So. Good odds on it. KD's over the number in three straight games, and he's landed 15 in game one with one assist. So that just goes to show you. He's had double-digit rebounds in three of the five games without with the hobbled eight. And I keep saying without, but with the hobbled eight. And well, because mentally, you, you've already factored him out of the series <laughs> right, entirely. So. Right, right. So, yeah, without him, I think he'll be more dominant on the glass. And his playmaking has been phenomenal throughout the, throughout the stretch after game one. Whenever he put it, well, game two, I think he had three assists. So after those first two games, I think he's been a little bit careful with the ball. Uh, he's able to pick a lot of his spots. Also on the Booker side, he's only over this number twice in the series. But both of those came at home. And he's had the ball in his hand a ton. He's going to keep having the ball in his hand without uh, CP on the floor. And Payne is not much of a playmaker. I think he has to play a little bit better also. Um, in the home games, he's averaging uh, 16 and a half rebounds and assists, which is, you know, what the Suns are going to have to do. They're going to need him to be the do-it-all type of uh, combo guard. So in order to take some pressure off of KD and himself, he's going to have to get those other guys going also. So, um, Booker over 13 and a half rebounds and assists, KD over 15 and a half rebounds and assists. And if you parlay those together, you can get plus 340. So I play both of those. I put like a half unit on uh, Booker and KD and then like a third of a unit on the plus 340. For me, I think a pretty sneaky play is actually Durant triple-double in this game. The assists have been low, but the rebounds have gotten there. He had seven assists last game, uh, had six the game prior, eight the game before that. We're assuming he's going to play probably 46 minutes in this game, uh, especially with Aiden being compromised. But I do think Durant, the, my favorite prop in this game, has to be the over and rebounds. Durant rebounds is around 8.5 at around minus 132. I don't understand that line at all. To read off the rebounding in this series, 11-11-9-8-14. How is this at 8.5 with Aiden being questionable? Yeah, uh, Yeah, I get it. So I I don't understand that one at all. I love Durant over and rebounds. I'm not going to be taking unders with those guys because, once again, the playing time should be absurd as it needs to be. But I do think Durant triple-double could be worth a look uh, just because of the playing time, etc. Besides that, though, I think I have to blindly take Jokic PRA. I don't know how anybody's supposed to stop him. Phoenix hasn't sent a single double team against him the entire series. Mm -hmm. And... With Aiden being injured and the rib contusion, if he plays, it might limit his mobility, especially with Jokic putting all his weight on you. It's not exactly a great matchup in the low post. Jokic can get there with 40 points. 
He can get there with 25 points if he just has a triple-double and he has puts up some insane stat lines, hit 30-17 and, 30, and 17 in one of these road games. Mm-hmm. I got to go with the Jokic uh, PRA. I just think he's going to have a massive game. And with the injuries involving Yoke, uh, involving Aiton, they have even less options than they had before to stop him. I, how do I not take Jokic PRA here? Yeah, I I'm not dis- – you never get me to disagree with a, a Joker PRA. Never. Uh, but I think that's basically going to wrap it up for my props. Do you want to make? Do you want to take a stance with Jamal Murray or something? Because I know that he was pretty good last. He was pretty underwhelming last game, but he kind of picked it up as the game went on. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, me and Terrell had, had got into it uh, about. Well, I mean, he took his under, and and he was saying how Brunson was better than him, and some guys in the chat were talking about that too. And I was like taking up for him. I wasn't on the over, but I was kind of taking up for Jamal Murray, and then he goes out and plays like that. So. I, I yeah. look like a fool, so I got to stay away from Jamal Murray right now. By the way, I see Daniel mentioning that Jokic triple doubles only happen at home. I believe he had what thirty seventeen and seventeen in Game Three in Phoenix. Um, right? maybe. Let me see. I'm pretty sure he had thirty, or it was thirty or thirty one, seventeen and seventeen. So he does have a road triple double in the series already. Let's see. So, um, pretty sure. Was that you said it was Game Three? Let's see. Yeah, that was Game uh, Three. Yeah, he did the game. How this? many points did he have? Did he have 30 or did he have yeah. 31? 30, 30, 17, and 17. And 37, 30, 17, and 17 in a road game here. But, I, yeah, I think we covered everything in this game. I don't know if you want to add anything else. Maybe Durant blocks if you want to go for a defensive prop. But Yeah, man, I've been, I've been playing Durant block plus steal all series long. It's been, it's, been giving, it's been doing pretty well. But you have anything else you want to talk about? No, no, I'm good. Uh, Yeah, I'm good. We can get into the lock and dog. All right. uh, So time for the actual lock and dog picks for the show. But before I get into that, do want to talk about Talkify. Are you having a hard time meeting great people to date? Why do you keep trying the same things over and over again if you're set up to fail? It's time to say goodbye to swiping and to bring back the human touch to dating with Talkify. Talkify is the country's number one modern matchmaking service that is designed to help you achieve uh, relationship success. They're trusted compatibility specialists, hand-select successful and compelling candidates, so you can date consciously and productively. And they have a great deal for you right now for our listeners. Talkify is offering our listeners 20% off when you become a client at Talkify.com slash SGPN. That's Talkify, T-A-W-K-I-F-Y.com slash SGPN for 20% off when you become a client. Talkify.com slash SGPN. All right, time to get into the actual lock and dog picks for the Thursday card. Starting off with the lock. Delonte, what do you got? Yeah, so I'm going to keep it short and simple, play Boston on the money line. I think the game should be right around Pick'em. But so basically, you know how some of the two and a halves and twos don't constitute two higher money lines. So the money line, I think, is a better value uh, as far as being able to play. I think the game should be uh, maybe like minus one either way, one, one and a half each way. I think two is a little bit steep. Uh, I still I still lay it simply because I like the spot for Boston, but I think the value is on the money line. So I'll play Boston on the money line. Um, you can shop around for the best number. Let me see if I can get the best number um, out here. So It's going to mostly be in that 130, like 135 range. Yeah, and I thought I'd seen a 125 um, somewhere, but maybe that was like a rogue offshore type of thing. Um, let's see. Yeah, like 130. Yeah, 135, I see his consensus. So, yeah, I play 135, Boston on the money line. As for the dog, I got two dogs. I got a small dog, which is going to be Denver, uh, plus the three in on the money line. I play both of those as well. We talked about it in depth, so I won't go back into it. Um, and for the uh, the bigger dog, plus the 340, I'm going back to the KD and Booker over rebounds and assists for both of those guys. Uh, I broke it down earlier, so you can go back and listen to that there. But I think both of those guys have to be – all everything, and that means dishing the ball, rebounding the ball, especially rebounding with eight and being hobbled. So I like both of those uh, bits there for my dog. All right, so uh, for my lock and dog, I'm going to completely ignore the uh, Celtics and Sixers game. <laughs> no offense, but once again, it comes down to if I think Missoula actually makes adjustments or not, and I'm not going to bother, so we'll see how that game turns out. For my lock, i got to go back to the player prop involving Durant. i got to take his over and rebounds at eight and a half at around minus 132. That's an absurd line. He's gone over in every game except one. The one time he didn't, he had eight. Now, Aiton might be banged up, and we'll see how many minutes he's going to play. 
But we think Durant might not sit the entire game. So if you're going to give me the playing time and if you're going to give me a guy who's been really good at rebounding lately, last two games for Durant, he's had 11 rebounds in the series. Give me Durant over eight and a half rebounds. That number just feels too short to me with the playing time especially. So give me the over there. And for my dog, uh, I am going to go with Denver Moneyline. I do mm-hmm. think that unless Booker shoots like 60-plus percent from the floor again, and once again, Durant also needs to be efficient, I just think that Phoenix is so top-heavy roster-wise. I don't trust the supporting cast. Denver, if they – you know what they need? A casual 30-point game from Jamal Murray. If they get it, they're winning the game. That's it. I, I just think that Denver, they need one guy to step up. Jokic can once again go for 40, 10, and 10, and nobody would be shocked. But I do think that Denver has the better overall roster. They have an unstoppable force with Jokic, and Phoenix has less options than before to stop them. Give me Denver Moneyline at around plus 125, and I'll give out a longer shot underdog because uh, you did too. Yeah, so for my super dog here, I'm looking for the best price available but I am looking at Durant triple-double, which I do think is quite appealing. I see 14-1 to 1, uh, yeah, on FanDuel, but I do want to see if I can find a better price. And yes, it's probably going to lose. But you're looking at the assist numbers. I don't know, man. I don't know. I was going to say, it's probably going to lose, but you're looking at the assist numbers. It's around seven or eight the last couple games. The rebounds have gotten there. And once again, Durant might play all 48 minutes in this game. So if you're going to give me the most amount of playing time possible in what should be a high-scoring game... I see 14 to 1 triple double for Durant. I'll take it. That'll be my huge underdog play. That's going to wrap it up, though, for the episode. Uh, Delonte, let people know where they can find you or if you have anything else you want to say before we officially end it. Yeah, I don't, man. Um, I'm on Twitter at XXLONTEXX. Uh, you can follow me there. I uh, probably have some type of arguments going on with some people up there about anything. Uh, anything sports related but yeah man i'll be there uh i know me and you are getting to a lot of uh discussion back and forth on the game so you know i think good follows for both of us uh that's where you can find me at uh i'll be back on i'm, I'm off for a few days so i'll be I'll be back saturday with you and Teru. are you flexing a vacation is that what no no, no 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 i'm just that, this is okay. my it's just my time off i'm, I'm off from on, uh on fridays that's all Okay, uh, just making sure. Uh, but yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Rice Show Radio. I'm trying to think of this. I believe I'm with Terrell tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. the, the yeah. usual Friday schedule. So I will be back tomorrow. Uh, besides that, though, I'm also doing the tennis podcast, doing the NFL podcast. I was doing the MLB podcast the last couple of days, so I'm not doing it today. But if you want picks for Thursday's baseball action, I was a co-host uh, with uh, – I'm trying to remember who I was with – with uh, – Noah yesterday, so uh, you can find that. But besides that, uh, I know WNBA starting up roughly a week and a half from now, so keep an eye out for the WNBA podcast with Terrell and I. And besides that, do want to make one announcement. I'd like to congratulate our co-host, Munaf, because he had a kid last night. So congratulations to him and his family. I'm happy that everything worked out well, and I'm sure he'll be back at some point next week. But congrats to Munaf for having a kid. Other than that, though, until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.